a yellow leather red leather damn it so close well okay welcome to the show wait were you recording that just a little bit no <laughs> it is wonderful to be back with two fully functional mics yes i just hit my mic with my headphone yeah that that's really good sound talent. quality cat i would say i was about to say the sound quality will hopefully be better but cat is i am struggling already making apparently. all kind of noise over there so we'll see we'll see how we do today yeah. um yeah so how have you been cat Good. We had an outdoor event today, so it was sweaty. It was not as hot as it could have been. Um, Thankfully, Texas cooled down by about 5 to 10-ish degrees today. I'll fucking take it, man. Yeah, no, it's been bad. And we have this tropical storm coming through, and we're just a little too far north to really get, like, the rain rain from it, but we're supposed to get some showers. But what sucks is, in our part of Texas, if it rains around us and not here directly it yeah. just turns into a humid puddle of nothing mm-hmm. so i was watching holes last night with some <laughs> friends and that scene at the end when they like dance in the rain that's how i feel like it is living here no 100%. like it's <laughs> in like the town miracle. where we currently are in the town where i currently am it's like it literally is like a miracle when it rains yeah <laughs> oh my god so hopefully it does this next week i would really love to sit well outside regardless the highs are in very the mild. 80, the high 80s, and I was like, what we is We got happening? two days with highs of 82. Mm, wow. It's like winter. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad you had your event, regardless. Yeah. Not I'm as glad many it wasn't people. as hot as it could have been. Yeah. Not as many people, which I think is both the product of school starting and COVID, but, you know, it is what it is. And I got more fabric that came in this week for mm. some more dresses I'm making. Um, that's fun. That so is fun. I'm like, okay, I've got to pace myself though. Right. Don't right. start a million projects. Maybe just work on one. I know. Cause we also have like that six page paper due this week and I've started on oh, it. Oh yeah. I've started on it and I've got like a decent chunk done, but I'm still like. It's more of like a, mm. it's not so much like it's a more research. Of a paper. It's more of like a, just a, it's an essay. Yeah. Um, but I'm not yeah. too worried about it, but it is literally six pages. Well, I'm not worried about it until I remembered that my one free night this week, I have ballet practice. So uh, our first, You like, do have meetings. a very busy Yeah. So I was schedule. like, get it done while I actually knew I had a day off. So. Yeah. But that was good. And that was my week so far. So how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've had a pretty good weekend. Not going to lie. It's nice. Sunday now, so it's kind of winding down. But yesterday I went thrifting and to... Oh, I'm just messing with my mic too now. Um, I went thrifting and... To an estate sale that was a super cool estate I sale. I thought all the ones were really bad this weekend. When we looked, they were... No, that was last weekend. I thought so, too. Oh. And I was like, wow, time has really passed. Dang it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was now. like... it's. I think it's over. It's over, it I'm ended, sure. Yeah. But... Um, but there was... It was only one that I was like, this looks like it could be cool. And it was. And the people were like... Mm-hmm. You could tell, like, really cool collectors of stuff. Oh, that's cool. they had, like, a lot of, like, Spanish style. The house was really cool. It's, like, the estate sale house you, like, want to go to. Yeah. You know what I mean? And not just, like, It's unique. It's not just someone who's cleaning out all their leftovers. Yeah, exactly. Like, when you've gone through all this stuff and kept what you're taking with you to the retirement home, and Mm -hmm. that's, like, what's left. Yeah. Those estate sales aren't as cool as, like, people who are, like, okay, we've got to downsize our collections. And then you're, like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. So, that that was really fun at the thrift store. I... Made a purchase that has been 23 years so in the making. So proud of you. So proud I of you, I literally texted Kat. I was like, are you proud of me? Because <laughs> she's am. been begging me to do this. Yes. And I'm like, you deserve it. <sighs> okay. I bought a skateboard. Yes. As a 23-year-old. And no, I don't There's no age it. limit on that. Tony Hawk I, is still oh, skating. I am fully aware. You know what? 
you want to hear did i tell you this i don't think i did um I, so the other day, I've been looking for a skateboard for a while. I've always wanted to skateboard, just so the audience knows. I've always wanted to skateboard. She's always, 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 always. talked about it a long time. A long time. And she didn't even go with us when we started skating together. What the hell was I supposed to do? Can I just stand around? Get a around? skateboard. I can't. Okay, listen. I was having a dilemma because the cheapest skateboards you can find, like new online or anywhere, are $40 from Amazon. And as y'all oh, know. That does suck. We don't really support Amazon in this house, and um, <laughs> that is true. Um, unless we have to. Unless we have to. Which unless sucks. Unless unless they're paying us. <laughs> hey, Jeff Bezos. Hey, sponsor us. We'll stop trashing you if you. Uh, hey, we won't say anything nice about you, but we we, we we'll will stop, stop saying bad things about, about you. you. Um, no, uh, so it, forty dollars on Amazon, and I don't want to buy a skateboard from Amazon. That just feels no. wrong in like yeah. so many different ways. Counterculture, but also not counterculture. Like, 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 how are you gonna buy? Like, if it's a kid and it's like a like a grandma buying like their grandkid a yeah. skateboard, sure, okay. But like, as an adult who's able to make decisions with her own money, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna buy that is fair a skateboard from Amazon. Um, <clears throat> So I just, I don't know, I was having that moral dilemma because I can technically afford it now more than I could like over the summer, which is really when I decided like, I'm going to stop just talking about this and I'm going to do it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I like didn't have any money over the summer and now that I have a little bit more money, I like could technically afford it, but I was still just like, mm, Amazon, really? So the other day I was on Facebook Marketplace and I saw a skateboard posted for $10 and I was like, oh shit. $10 skateboard, perfect. I don't care if it's the worst skateboard ever. It's mm-hmm. the it's one $10. I'm going to be learning on, and I don't want to pay a lot of money for one. I'm, yeah. I don't even know how to skateboard. So you yeah. know what I mean? Um, so I like, messaged them. It literally had been posted within the past hour. Messaged them as soon as I saw it, and they're like, no, sorry, it's already taken. Because that shit goes fast, because everyone knows like that's yeah. expensive, and that's a really good price for it. <sighs> so I like called my mom later that day, and I was chatting with her. And I was like, yeah, I found this skateboard. And she's like, skateboard? And I was like, yeah, Amber, you know that I've always wanted to skateboard. And I guess my dad was there because she goes to my dad and she's like, did you hear that, Greg? Your daughter wants to learn how to skateboard. You know what my dad says? My dad, who was like a a freaking like punk kid in the 90s. Yeah. He was like, she needs to grow up. Excuse me? Excuse me, Gregory? Excuse me? That was uncalled for so i was no. like well i'm definitely buying a skateboard now like, we also <laughs> don't shame people for trying things especially if they think you wanted to do your whole life and well <laughs> i don't think my dad was shaming me i just think he was being dramatic well don't make people feel bad about it either like i play dress up as an adult like come on people let people do what they want to do just i know it was it's not that hard to i be will like, say congrats don't scrape your knee like, yeah i will say uncalled for mom if you hear this tell dad i would have told him to his face but i was just kind of like why okay and then i was like are you just jealous dad i'll take you skateboarding you want to skateboard with me dad (laughs) and my mom was like greg does not need a skateboard not with his knees (laughs) i told my dad to get another motorcycle because he used to ride one when he was younger and i was like you know if you get one i'm totally gonna like oh hell yeah yeah like we're gonna, we're gonna commit. We don't go halfway in this house. <laughs> um, shit, I'll come up to Dallas with you and yes. get some motorcycle lessons. That would be badass. Know, right? <laughs> get a Class C license and just it'll be a good old time. Actually, I think Class C is in in Texas. I think that Class normal C is motorcycle uh, normal driver's license is included. You can so Class C is commercial vehicle. Commercial vehicle. Mm-hmm. What do I think? Class I don't, M. 
I don't know what the motorcycle is, but I do know. I think it's M. But I, my dad, I think my dad a, drove delivery trucks for a while, so he had a class C. Okay, then I yeah. think I'm with. Is it class M? I think maybe. Yeah, but either way, I think your normal license in Texas can cover that. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, if you're just practicing in a parking lot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're not gonna be like license and registration, sir. This is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so I was just like you know what I want a skateboard I know that when I see one that's available to me I'll get it there you go and I was in the thrift store yesterday and there's one just laying on the ground like it was meant for me beautiful and I got it and I was a little concerned because it didn't have a sticker on it and sometimes they won't sell stuff to you if it's not priced yeah or if it doesn't have a sticker and I sort of like went up to the girl and she's like, yeah, it'd be like $5. And I was like, shit, It was yeah. probably priced higher than that. And <laughs> it she just probably was. I know. Thank you to that girl for <laughs> finally helping Kaylee actualize her dreams. I know. Technically, I paid $6 because after the girl was nice to me, I didn't want to say no to like the donation thing. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll I give you that. 60 cents or whatever. <laughs> I usually do that too anyway. So, so anyway, that's a very long-winded explanation to say that I now have a skateboard. And I have been... Skating in a line back and forth in my living room. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Yes, girl. Oh, my God. So that's a new development in my life. Also, my roommate um, told me, like, when we left the Goodwill, she was like, I've always wanted to learn how to longboard, but I was always too nervous to, like, go out and do it myself. And I was so like... So you realize now we're starting a whole entire skating game, I was right? like, well, Belle, we have... We go out when we- it's not this hot. We I'm like, go you out. and me take out. We can learn. Yeah. And... And, like, skateboarding, longboarding are, like, different, but they're very similar. Similar yeah. enough to learn together. Yeah. Um, so, that'll be good. Nice. Tell yes. me when y'all, like, start, because yeah, we'll start up our... We'll see. She's uh, visiting home now, and she might get her brother's old longboard. Nice. She should do so... that, because we, uh, it's too hot still. We'll need I actually am going to text before. her. Yeah. We need a week remember... or two before things get a, get a li- cool enough to actually enjoy the outdoors. Um, okay, next week's forecast. But yeah, so that 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 just put the whole weekend on like a good note for me. Um, and then last night was a football game. That was a lot of fun. Got to do that. The weather was actually like bearable, which was so nice for Did the first win? football game. Oh, we blew we blew them out. It was rough. Oh, okay. Good. It was it was like sixty something to yeah. a very low score. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I wasn't um, even sure. I just. Pay so you know me. I said pay so little attention to sports that I didn't even know my one yeah, concern no, we, we was getting away from work and not having to go near the stadium. Um, yeah, no. So it was, it was, it was a little bit of a mess because some of the people we were with had like separate ticket. It, whatever, student ticketing is annoying, but yeah, we figured it out and yeah, it was a good time. I'm excited because after this we're getting pizza. And after this, we're getting pizza. So good vibes all around. I feel the weather is finally breaking mm-hmm. and that. First, you know. I stepped outside last night. Week. I was fitting a corset, so I was, like, in a dress, and I was, like, so excited. <laughs> just, I looked outside, and it looked cool. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It looked no, cool. No, you and I, like, look out the window, and you're apartment. like, like, right now, it looks hot. I know. But later tonight, it'll look It'll be, like, like cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was, like, I, like, ran outside in my costume last night, and I was, like, I don't even care if anyone sees me. I'm just going to stand out here in the cool for, like, five minutes and just appreciate the fact that I'm not dying. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how my weekend was, but honestly, compared to my week... 
I had like a meeting with, about my thesis, which was like super important, but I didn't stress about that. So yeah, you know, but you did get to come see my office, and I I, I did after you left. I moved everything around. <laughs> well, I was like, guess okay, I gotta come back. I gotta decorate it. So yeah, I'm gonna put. Cat has an office. Did y'all know that? A real office with a door. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a cubicle. It's like a it's room. Like an office. Yeah. I just have a cubicle. Yeah, That's my other exciting. job, I have less than a desk, so yeah. I have a middle school locker to put my stuff in, and then someone with co- that is not vaccinated who likes to take my desk, and then it means I have to sanitize everything every time I come in. But you know what? If that's the price I pay for not getting COVID or passing it to someone else, that is okay. Yeah. But this one, I have my own office, and it's mine. And everyone's vaccinated. Yep. Well, so on are we that ready? Note, yeah, hoping that y'all had a good week, too. We really are. It's just after I mean I feel like yeah I feel like we've had a pretty pretty good pretty yeah good. ask us in another week and a half and we have like some new project <laughs> for class and we're like screwed um, yeah yeah literally this changes like the wind <laughs> yeah grad school does that to you hey but... right now we're doing good it's gonna yeah. be a good episode and you know what is also good that as of is it Wednesday it starts Hispanic Heritage Month the 15th. The 15th. I think that's I'm Wednesday. I'm not sure what day is the 15th. Pretty sure that's Wednesday. According to my research, it's Wednesday. And my research is just okay. is the pulling calendar. Over calendar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I decided that thus, even though it'll be a day ahead of schedule, thus starts my contributions to Heritage Month. Um, Yay. Woo. And I've I have also, also decided that, in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Kat and I have both decided that because this episode comes out on the 14th so we're like it counts and well and i've also just been dying to talk about this woman um oh, yeah. we've held her off for a while but for for many for reasons. many reasons we were like one of them is because we wanted to do her now yeah 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 um there's a million categories this woman can fall into she's a symbol for um disabilities for the lgbtq plus community for feminism for like a million things for art so if you haven't guessed by now today i will be t- oh i just did a tongue pop today <laughs> i did it too, too. You've, you've been hanging out with me too I much <laughs> so today i will be talking about frida kahlo ah frida frida our queen so you know what i respect her so much but i feel like she would not like me and that's valid Apparently she was just like really sweet and kind of like fiery and was passionate she? about everything. She seems like she's like very. Well, I think that the tendency, and this is not on you. I think this is a tendency on the way society perceives women is that a lot of women who are perce- who are outspoken or sassy or opinionated get kind of that shorthanded, like they they get it's assumed that they're kind of bitchy. You know? Yeah. And I don't think you're doing that. I think that society has just like her characterization. As we've, yeah, as yeah. we've perceived her through the years. No, that makes sense. Like, because historiography plays a part in that too. Like, yeah. if you always teach her as being a. Yeah. Because I've that, always that's seen how her, public perception becomes. Yeah. I've always seen her kind of described as like very, like, set in her ways. But you well, know what I mean? She may have been, um, personality wise, I can't attest to any of that. I didn't know her. I didn't see a whole lot on her actual personality, just that she was extremely opinionated. Yeah. Um, but she seemed to get along really well with people. Hmm. And I mean, I think a lot of her paintings too are so, if you look at her paintings, she has, she has 
she never considered herself a surrealist, but she very much falls into that kind of like Salvador Dali surrealist look. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of her work is self-portraiture, and she's rarely smiling. She yeah. rarely paints good things, like because painting was very much a response to trauma for her. Mm-hmm. She painted about some terrible times in her life. Um, so I think in that visual perception of her, of never seeing her smiling and stuff also makes me kind of, uh, for a long time, I always thought she would have been just a really strict, you know, person that was very mm-hmm. set on everything. But from what I read, she's, I mean, I think I would have admired her. If not, oh, yeah, her, I, I respect the crap out of yeah. her. Yeah. So, Even if she didn't like me, I'd be like, you know, that's, that's okay. If you don't like me, there's probably a reason. That's like, and I probably between, deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't deserve you. Yeah. So let's dive in. So Frida Kahlo de Rivera. Um, was her married name. She was originally born Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon, and she was born in 1907 on July 6th. And Coyoacan? I'm botched that. I'm so sorry. I was. Coy- you did Coyoacan. the name pretty well, so Coyoacan. I was impressed. Yeah. Mexico City, Mexico. She also died there in her childhood home in July 13th, 1954. Mm. Her- oh, I didn't realize. I- She's earlier. I always thought she lived longer than that. No, she died oh. in her, uh, barely like at 40s. 47. Yeah. Yeah. She died very I young. figured, I, I didn't know, she, I knew she didn't live to be like old, but I didn't know it was that young. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't realize, I didn't ever place her in the right time period of the 19th century. I always had her a little bit later in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, she died young uh, and it was because of her health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so her father was German. Uh, Wilhelm, when he immigrated to Mexico, he changed his name to Guillermo, and well, uh, that's like the yeah, like William, like the permit, yeah. like this the cultural name for it. Um, yeah, she was born in or no, oh my god, I just went back to the line above that. <laughs> Sorry, guys, it's been a good week. That doesn't mean my brain's entirely focused. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, her mother Matilde was predominantly Mexican, but uh, had some native indigenous. Um, culture in her ancestry somewhere as well one of the things claimed she was entirely like hmm. it, it wasn't different reports of different mm-hmm. uh sites and stuff like that but they met when the father immigrated to mexico at 19 years old as a photographer and his first wife died from at childbirth and then he remarried matilda um so mm-hmm. frida had three sisters two that were older also named matilda and adriana and a younger sister, Christina, who was close in age, I think within like a year, like close in age to Frida, mm. probably a year or so. At three years old in 1910, the Mexican Revolution began, which is something I feel like I should talk about. We should talk about, even if it's oh yeah later um, for sure. But mm. yeah, that's a very formative thing to be in a place where there's a current revolution. And it's weird mm. in America because if we think of revolution... You think of, like, very drastic, notable, like, I can pinpoint the revolution starting on this day. Uh And the last time we saw that happen in proximity is our own revolution, Mm -hmm. really. And I realized this the other day that I wanted to know. American revolution? Like, American topics, unless it happens directly in our land, we don't have experience with it. Like, European countries have seen their neighbors relocate boundaries and like redo all the like have revolutions yeah what hasn't happened in europe and it's weird because 
that's a cultural thing I didn't realize we experience as Americans. We there's so much land in the USA that unless it is like physically happening in one of our states, mm-hmm. we don't have a comprehensive like this happens here. That it doesn't happen here unless it's happening yeah. in the states because there's so much land that we don't really have like we have neighbors to the north and south, but unless it happens here, we don't have a concept of it. But European mm-hmm. countries witness this stuff happen all the time right next door to them. So I don't know. That struck me the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, that's interesting," because they can at least go off of each other's experiences and see what's happening to their neighbors, but we can't really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But she was growing up in that kind of turmoil, and unfortunately, Frida got sick when she was just six years old with polio, and she was bedridden for about nine months. For those of you who don't know about polio, it has some really disastrous effects, which is why so many people were excited, excited to have access to the vaccine when it came out my grandmother included um i think the vaccine came out 53 i think it's 53 was it 53 i thought it was in the 40s that could be thinking of germ theory no not germ theory um what's the other one penicillin penicillin that came out before i'm thinking about penicillin yeah Yeah. um that came out because they had it in world war ii um but yeah i think it was 53 is when we cured polio but my grandma, I think I've told you all this on the podcast. Uh, the first po- polio vaccine was available in the U- U.S. in 55. 55, okay. The United States has been polio-free since 1979. Nice. Hmm. I mean, it's a curable disease. So yeah. It, that, and that's phenomenal. And I've told you all on this podcast before how my grandma was like, she told me once she remembers lining mm-hmm. up outside of the high school in her hometown. And her mom was like just dragging them on. She was like, you're getting this vaccine. Yeah. And they wanted it because like... That's the iron lung. If mm-hmm. you got polio and it was really bad, you were in the iron lung and you could be there for so long. And yeah. It was so terrifying. And um, polio can paralyze you. It can reduce your nerves and muscular function. Um, I think in some cases it can even cause like meningitis, which just destroys you. So, we, I mean, there's visibility in polio survivors, FDR. He, he had polio. That, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, that was FDR. I think so. Yes, it was. Um, I, yeah. It had to be. Um, sorry, sometimes we second-guess ourselves. I especially do that because I don't want to get things wrong on record. Yeah, poliomyelitis, which myelitis. I guess is okay. the yeah. medical name of it. Yeah. So there's been other people that survived and yeah. did like great things and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, Polio. yeah. So... That definitely makes me realize we need to talk about polio. Um, also, if you heard that little skip in our audio, we realized that my AC was running and we usually have to turn it off because you can hear it in the background. It should be quieter now. Nice yeah. and peaceful. A little more calm. Should we do ASMR? No, it's not. <laughs> so, uh, when it came to Frida's case of polio, the disease did do some damage to her physical ability. She struggled um, her right leg, her hip down, so her leg and her foot. I was stunted in its growth a little bit. It never, Hmm. it was not like she couldn't walk or anything like that, but it was kind of shorter than her left one and didn't develop quite the same. Some people speculate, I saw that she had spinal bifidia, which can can apparently alter your spine and leg growth. So she did try to do things to strengthen the muscles in her leg, like sports, swimming, and even wrestling, her dad got her involved in, which is oh, very yeah. unusual for, you know, a girl in that time and yeah. that age. So, good for her. Um, 
she did all that in an attempt to regain some of the motor function and nerve mm-hmm. damage that she had. I don't know if it helped long term to regain some of that back, but she was also very small throughout her life. She was around five three or five four mm-hmm. and about a hundred pounds. Wow, very small lady. Um, so she starts to kind of as she gets older take on some political opinions and intellectual. She has some intellectual realizations. That's a tongue twister for you. (laughs) When she was at school near the heart of Mexico City, she was accepted to a very famous and prestigious school called the National Preparatory School. And she was, like, interested in medicine. And she wanted to take classes in biology and anatomy and all this other stuff. So in in 1922, when she was admitted, she was vastly outnumbered gender-wise. There were about 30 or 40 girls in there compared to all the rest being male, but she was surrounded by people who were also politically active, and they called themselves the Cachucas, and she joined the Mexican Communist Party and the Young Communist League. Nice. Yeah. Many would go on to be, like, many of her friends that she met there went on to be leaders of left-leaning parties, so she was with high-minded people, you know? Yeah. And it must be really weird growing up in that too, because you're being surrounded by physical violence, political violence, but Mm -hmm. she, she took her opinions and she held them fast. I don't know how much her childhood polio polio bothered her pain wise, or if it just Mm -hmm. kind of like stunted the growth and then she just dealt with it. Um, but it, um, it definitely, I mean, there's struggles that come with chronic illnesses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Feeling discouraged and all that stuff. And she did end up being bullied in her childhood for it from mm-hmm. the other children. But her real struggle with disabilities came on September 17th, 1925. So she's about three years into school. And she was sort of seeing this guy at this time, Alejandro Gomez Arias, who her parents weren't big fans of, actually. And the political unrest in Mexico had kept them apart distance-wise. And it wasn't like a long-distance relationship, I don't think. And I'm not even sure if they were dating or if they were, like, girlfriend and boyfriend or what. But they wrote uh, letters to each other a lot. And if talking about car accidents makes you nervous, uh, skip ahead a couple minutes. Because even though, like, okay, so her life isn't defined by this accident in any way. And I don't want to, like, overhype it or go into too much detail about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of her art and work later was attributed to the chronic pain and damage that this injury and accident did to that her makes body sense. yeah and she it, it's also part of what makes her such a huge huge symbol of perseverance for mm-hmm. people at the end of the day so on this day she was with her uh boyfriend slash significant other slash this guy alejandro gomez arias and they were getting on a bus and it almost didn't happen it didn't happen to them she Frida had lost her umbrella, and apparently they got back off the first bus to go look for it. Mm. When they come back, the first bus is gone, and they get on a later bus. And it's a lot more crowded, so they had to move to the back of the bus to find seats. I popped, sorry. Um, The bus (laughs) driver was trying to pass in front of an electric streetcar, and it hit them perpendicularly, like, flat into them. Oh. Hit the bus. An electric Ooh. And that, it, it it hit them hard enough that it dragged the bus. It killed multiple people immediately. Yeah. Several people died later of injuries so severe. Um, Frida was not in good shape. Skip ahead if you don't like descriptions. 
there was an iron rail, handrail, that had gone through her pelvis pretty much to the other side. <sighs> and the guy she was with, Arias, and a few other people realized, like, that this is, like, really, really bad. And they pulled it out. Oh. Um, they removed oh. the handrail themselves, apparently, which, you know, sometimes they say not to do because it's holding yeah. wounds, like, like, like organs the, together and organs stuff. Organs together, yeah. holding your blood back from bleeding mm-hmm. out. Um, but I cannot imagine how bad that was because they get to the hospital and they're like, she's not going to survive. They, Oof. the doctors are like, this, this isn't going to, she's not going to survive this. But it, it, I mean, it impaled her. I cannot believe how painful that would be to have it pulled back out without any, any medical training for people to just yank that back out of your body. Um, especially considering the fact that it fractured her pelvic bone, ripped through her abdomen and her uterus, Mm. broke her spine in three places, dislocated her shoulder, broke her collarbone, and basically shattered her right leg, breaking it in 11 pieces. Was that her bad leg? Yeah, it was her already bad leg. Um, And on top of that, doctors who later took a look at her spine were like, you broke this in the vertebrae and other places too. It wasn't mm. just those three spinal fractures. And so it's a miracle that she has survived. I yeah. like, especially in what, like, like something the thirties, like yeah. the twenties actually, like the, it's almost unbelievable that she yeah. survived. And she had this brace. She, I mean, she had a full body cast for a while, but she mm-hmm. eventually had this brace. That's made I've out seen, of, yeah, I've seen paintings of the brace. Paintings, yeah. yeah. And it's made out of plaster at first, but then she kind of, like, had metallic and leather versions of it through her life. And they do make multiple appearances in her portraits. And she, mm-hmm. like, paints some very graphic and, like, symbolic stuff with it. There's the the broken column painting she has where it's, like, you can see the front of her body open to her rib mm-hmm. You can see it looks like a Greek column holding up her spine and it's, like, shattering into pieces. Mm-hmm. And she, she painted about it a lot. Obviously, that's a very long recovery process from something like that. Not only was she stuck in the hospital for months, but she has to go home and be in bed for another several months while she has a plaster cast over her whole body. Her mobility is just her bed. And um, and so there's when you're bedridden, there's not a whole lot to do, but her mom was kind of like determined, like, I'm going to, we're going to find you something to do. So... Mm-hmm. Um, they actually like fit this easel that she could work with laying down in bed and that's when she starts painting. Oh, and awesome. One of the reasons that she did a lot of early portraits is because her mom put a, a mirror above her in her canopy bed so mm-hmm. that she could paint herself because she was so isolated for so yeah. long. I can't even, yeah, I've never thought about that being bedridden and not being able to look at yourself. Yeah, because if you're a full body cast, that they're not kidding. It's a full body you cast. Can't you can't sit like, up sit, to you can't look turn. in the mirror. Yeah. Especially if you fractured your spine, you can't even turn left and right from your hips. Like, yeah. And I mean, and that injury too, with the effects of polio, she, that's one of the reasons she was said to have worn skirts for most of her life. Not only just because she loved the bright cultural colors, but also because they hid her legs. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. She, she adapted best she could, and that's a miracle in and of itself. So, Arius, I don't know if they were se- separated by political turmoil again, or their mm-hmm. families, or maybe he felt really guilty that he walked away unscathed, basically, while she was so injured. Mm-hmm. But um, he didn't really continue to visit. He wrote a couple letters, but 
It didn't seem like he was particularly, like, by her bedside the whole time. Um, it was said that it did contribute to her loneliness in that period a bit. I mean, as you would after you undergo a traumatic, extremely traumatic experience like that, and then you're alone again. Um, she did end up giving him, though, one of her first paintings that she made while she was bedridden. Hmm. And... While she was still recovering, she was forced to drop out of school because she couldn't attend, obviously, and there's no there's no Zoom. And it also forced her to give up her thoughts of what she was kind of hoping to be a medical illustrator, illustrator for, like, mm-hmm. books and textbooks and medical purposes and stuff. But she did start picking up art in other forms, though, and she took off. Her dad lent her some paints. Her mom got that mirror and easel for her, and she... Thus began the self-portrait part of her life. Mm. And so when we get to the middle of her life, around 1928, this is about three years, I think, after the accident, she's reintroduced to Diego Rivera, who she had come in contact with actually when she was still a young girl in school in 1922, when she was in that school. And he was working on a mural project Mm -hmm. for the campus they never really developed a relationship or anything, um, which is probably good because he's about 20 years older than her. I was going to say, uh, yeah. Yeah. I hope not when she was a young girl in school. Yeah. But yeah. apparently she she did this misreview reports. I saw one that said she was attracted to him physically when she saw him when she was younger. I saw reports that she just thought he was really talented. Well, you know, regardless like of what the, like, school girl side thought of it. It's not okay for a 20-year-old yeah. to There's be There's plenty like, of high schoolers who think, like, Chris Evans is attractive. <laughs> right, that's true. That's yeah. true. Um, but yeah, it's, it would not have been okay if they had gotten back together yeah. while she was in high school or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, oh, my notes just skipped back up to the top of the thing, and I popped my, I popped my tea. So I. Apologize. I think it's worse in my mic when I pop because okay. this mic is super sensitive. Okay. Because you don't even get a little like tick. I oh, do. That's good. Yeah. Okay, then I won't worry too much. Yeah. So, yes, we were talking about Rivera. So. They develop a relationship, and they end up getting married in August of 1929. Her father actually warned her against it, saying that he was the devil and that Rivera wouldn't be faithful, and Frida basically said, I know. Oh. She knew. And they earned the nickname from a lot of their friends, the Elephant and the Dove. Hmm. And if you look at them, it's... I mean, Rivera is a tall, large guy. Hmm. Frida's tiny. Like if you look yeah, at as pictures, you mentioned before, like, yeah, it's, it's very fitting. He was a big supporter of her painting, though, and like constantly encouraged her. And their relationship was a very tumultuous one. They traveled a lot together to where wherever Rivera had his commissions, since he was a muralist, and there's a big push for that movement of art at the time. But there was this like constant jealousy jealousy between them which wasn't helped by the fact that both of them were participating in extramarital affairs i was gonna say she probably was fine with it because she also was gonna well that's the weird thing i have no clue if it was an open marriage agreement or i feel like they kind of well they both had to have known i feel like they both knew yeah they both knew whether or not they were okay with it yeah it's a different issue um but Frida was openly bisexual and would sometimes uh, wear traditionally men's clothes and date women. And she it was very progressive for her to be so open about this at the time. She was, rumor- she was rumored to have possibly even been with Josephine Baker at one point. Hmm. There's proof that they met. They have a picture together. But, you know, whether or not that's just everyone being like, oh my gosh, you know, a woman yeah. and a woman who could be in love and like sensationalizing it. That's another matter. But there's also a very scandalous rumor that she had an affair 
with, you want to guess? Leon Trotsky. <laughs> really? Which actually isn't surprising, and I'll get to that in a second. So, um... <laughs> okay. For a while in the 1930s, they were in San Francisco, California area, the New York, then New York City for the MoMA, and then Detroit. The couple was only allowed in America when Rivera finally obtained a visa to the U.S., and, um... <laughs> Frida Kahlo had resigned from the Communist Party a little while ago just so she could go with him because America was so scared of communism. I was going to say, I'm surprised they let her in. Yeah, she had to, like, resign from the Communist Party. Yeah. But they went back to New York to work on this Rockefeller mural for Rockefeller, and Rivera painted it, and then Rockefeller got super pissed because there was, like, a communist person he had painted on it, and they basically Mm -hmm. painted over it, and it made Rivera really mad. And all this other stuff. But they eventually ended up going back to Mexico together to live in San Angel, where they have their own homes and studios, um, like, separate from Mm -hmm. each other. And the Mm -hmm. infidelity is made worse by the fact that, ugh, this is a major no-no. Rivera slept with Frida's little sister, Christina. (gasps) No, not, no. I know. That's not okay. You can't do that, buddy. No. That's one bridge too far. If you had an agreement with your wife, that's one thing, but I am I feel like family members are off limits. that's off limits, guys. Absolutely. That's, that's, mm -mm. yeah, no. And Frida, obviously, as anyone, takes that pretty hard um, and chops off her long hair. She does the total girl boss you know, moment. She has, like, the Mulan moment. The Mulan moment, moment. yeah. Um, I feel like they were both very differently motivated. (laughs) Yes. And it's weird. I mean, Rivera was supportive of her art and and encouraged her, and that doesn't mean that gaslighting each other is okay from both sides of their situation. But they have these, like, moments of unity, though. Like, this is where the Leon Trotsky thing comes into play. At one point, Leon Trotsky and his wife are exiled from the Soviet Union, and... They're on the run, and where's a place, a great place to go? It's Mexico. Yeah. And guess who was of under of political understanding and availability? So Rivera yeah. and Frida are like, yeah, we'll take them in. And the Trotskys move in Okay. to the Frida's childhood house. Okay. Yeah, so for a hot second... Um, Trotsky and his wife were there before they leave and he was later assassinated. <laughs> Whoops. Um, and that's where, you know, people say they would have had an affair, which could mm-hmm. just be lurid scandal because, I mean, if Rivera and Frida were getting along while they hosted this family there, that's one thing. But yeah. people are going to talk at any, any, in any situation. So, um, there were obviously patches that were tumultuous because of extramarital affairs, but I think there was also a great deal of tension over the issue of children Mm. apparently frida really wanted children and i think rivera probably did too could she have children that's where it gets Mm. kind of into a dark chapter of her life yeah the pain from the bus crash bothered her the rest of her life as it is you can't walk away from something like that and i without you know lifelong pain and issues especially when medicine can't fix a lot of that it's just you know, patching up symptoms and minimizing mm-hmm. pain through your life. Um, and she's constantly going in for new surgeries. At one point, they, like, apparently try to re-break part of her back and reset it. Mm. So, like, debilitating pain. And when they did this, like, they, she would take the casts on, like, the body casts, and she would paint them, and she would, like, turn mm-hmm. it into art. And, and it was a therapy for her. And... Um, 
during this time, there's some really dark themes that come out in her work, including the painting The Suicide of Dorothy Hale, who was an uh, actress who jumped off um, one of the floors, one of the penthouse floors of her apartment, and she was commissioned by a friend of Dorothy Hale to paint this so that she could give it to the mother of Dorothy Hale. Oh. They did not realize that Frida was going to paint the suicide. The act of the suicide, including Dorothy laying on the pavement below the hotel. So, you know, she's dealing with a lot of really dark stuff herself. And I think that's what, you know, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. I I, I can't speak for artists necessarily, but I think that that's a, you pull from your personal experiences. And if there is dark and, you know, painful as Frida's, then... That, yeah. But um, she and Rivera ended up getting a divorce in 1939. They actually ended up getting remarried in 1940, the next year. But I think at that point she was in really bad health. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when they had tried to have kids before, she had a lot of trouble conceiving, which happens when an iron rod goes through your uterus. Um, Yeah. Uh, I yeah. feel like, yeah, that is what happens when that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what makes it worse is that the times when she was able to get pregnant, multiple times, the doctors were like, you can't carry this child. We need to terminate. We need to abort the pregnancy or it's going to kill you. Yeah. And that is the awful reality that a lot of mothers face. And that mm-hmm. is why abortion and healthcare needs to be talked about with compassion because... I, Frida has, she, she painted a lot of stuff about that. Um, and the fame, her, one of her famous, famous paintings, uh, the Henry Ford hospital in 1932. If you want to Google it, you can, I should try to tweet it out later, but she's in a bed, like on a hospital bed with a snail and a baby and a bunch of other things attached to her body by these things that look like umbilical cords. And the snail apparently was supposed to represent, like, the struggles and the slow process, this torturously slow process to have a kid for them. And Mm. this one was painted after a miscarriage. So, Mm. you know, when she could conceive that she either lost it or was was told that they had to terminate. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that created an incredibly painful time for her and her husband. Um, But... Yeah, that one, that one's a really, really sad one. Maybe I shouldn't tweet that one out. It's kind of... Well, I think people might want to see it. That's true. Um, I mean, you're talking about it, so... Yeah. Well, and like I said earlier, she painted the broken column, stuff like that. And we have, Mm -hmm. you know, those self-portraits that look just like, oh, she painted a self-portrait. You don't realize the symbolism necessarily or, like, how rough things were for her. And all the stuff she's painting have a very surrealist look to them. But she never considered herself to be painting in that style. One of her very good friends was actually pioneering that movement, Andre Breton, and she once said, they thought I was a, or, sorry, I should say quote, quote, <laughs> they thought I was a surrealist, but I wasn't. I never painted dreams. I painted my own reality, end quote. Um, and she was, her art was displayed at the International Exhibit of Surrealism in 1940. So obviously some parts of it were thought by the public to fit the surrealism movement, even if she didn't consider herself to be a part of it. And 
she was notable in her time. She wasn't like, you know, hadn't achieved the fame that we consider her to have now where everyone knows Frida Kahlo's name. But she did sell some of her art and one of her first major art shows, she sold about half of them and she was getting commissions. In 1939, she even got to go live in Paris and show off her paintings and mm. she met people like Pablo Picasso and Georgia O'Keeffe through her life. So she yeah. was among the, you know, the artists, artists of the time. Yeah. yeah. She even got a big commission from the Mexican government to paint some of the um, important Mexican women of history. But around that time, her father had died. And with her physical challenges and everything, she just couldn't finish them. Mm. She continued showing her personal works uh, through her life. And her first art solo art show was in 53. She was already so sick that she actually had to be transported there by an ambulance. Oh. And... She made it work. They actually took her bed from her house and set it up in the art gallery for her to lay in while mm. guests were there looking at her art. And she, like, decorated the bed with pictures of her family and mm. all these embellishments. And, like, it, I, there's pictures of it, too. And it's really cool. And with the medical care at that time, she just couldn't ever recover from that bus. And yeah. so they ended up, later in her life at this point, having to amputate her right leg. Um, it got infected with gangrene, unfortunately. Yeah. And she was in the hospital for, like, another nine, nine months at this part of her life. This, so she was, you know, bedridden again in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. They do have her, uh, I believe, her prosthetic leg, though, at the Frida Kahlo Museum. Um, I think my aunt has been there. The one in Mexico City? Yeah. It's her, her, mm. her the one that's her childhood house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she started to rely, after the amputation, she started to rely a little bit on painkillers. And some people say that she was even a little bit addicted and she started drinking a little heavily to deal with the pain. Yeah. Um, Which, without real medicine and effective medicine in that time, I I can only imagine that there aren't a lot of options to dull that immense pain. People with chronic pain today get addicted to those things too. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, You can see it apparently in some of her later art. I don't have a trained eye for it, but apparently some of her later art, you can see that the strokes are a little more shaky and less steady, and she's hospitalized again in 1954 from what some people say was another health scare. Some people said might have been a suicide attempt or an mm. accidental suicide attempt. You know, sometimes you, when you're addicted, you don't realize how much you're doing. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't let it get in her way, and even though she can't really paint. She continues to be vocal and, about political issues and social justice. Her last public appearance, actually, a week before she died was joining a protest in Mexico City against the overthrow of the Guatemalan president that, uh, of course, the CIA had in hand in that. <laughs> yeah. And Rivera actually took her in her wheelchair because she couldn't mm. walk. And um, her health just deteriorated so much within that week that right within a week of her 47th birthday, she died. Mm. And they think it was a blood clot that a pulmonary embolism. So a blood clot would have formed somewhere else in her body, most likely the leg, and traveled into one of the lungs, and it blocks mm. your blood flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that they didn't do an autopsy, but some people speculate that it might have been an accidental overdose or maybe even an intentional one, um, since she was so reliant on those painkillers yeah. in her life. Um, and Rivera later wrote in one of his biographies that her death was the most tragic thing in his life and that he had never appreciated how wonderful she was. And he openly expressed regret about not realizing that while she was still Hmm. alive. And in a lot of ways, 
she makes me think of Van Gogh. Like, I don't like comparing women to men necessarily in a field because, no, she's not Van Gogh. She's her own person, you know? She's not anyone else. Mm -hmm. But the way that we talk here, people talk about Van Gogh turning very, like, very bad mental illnesses and depression into artwork that is so phenomenal. Um, It made me think a lot about that through, while I was doing my research about Mm -hmm. about her. Um, And you don't need trauma or struggles to be good, and I don't want to glamorize that, but I think that watching someone turn those things into something inspirational is so fascinating, and it's a role model to so many people. Girl boss, if you're taking (laughs) our modern terms for it. Um, She never painted the bus accident herself, like, on a full canvas, but she did make sketches and kind of doodles of some stuff similar to the event. And as far as her notability goes, I think that a lot like the printing press and other stuff we've talked about on this podcast... It's a very much a product of its time, because even though she died in the 50s, the 70s wasn't so far away that people had forgotten her and buried her work. And when this feminist movement start, starts to really take off in the yeah. 70s, she becomes this icon of empowerment. And as she 100% should, but I think yeah. that that helped keep her art from falling to a place of not being noticed, especially since she was an artist of... She wasn't white, you know, and the civil rights movement buried a lot of mm-hmm. famous phenomenally talented artists because they weren't white so um i kind of think that the 70s had that nice little push to keep her alive Mm -hmm. and after her death the blue house or casa azul which was her childhood home became the museo frida kahlo um that is where leon trotsky stayed like i said and it was built by her dad her ashes are still on display there in an urn Mm. In 2002, um, there was a movie made about her where Selma Hayek actually plays mm-hmm. her. I've always wanted to watch it. I just didn't know where to find it, and now I'm determined to go watch it. But that movie is based on Hayden Herrera's biography from 1983. And we're lucky that she gained a certain level of fame in her life because this time, even though in her earlier life, access to photography wasn't as common, by the end of it, it was. So there were pictures... Mm-hmm. of her from people who knew that she was going to be an important figure to photograph and document yeah so we have pictures of her in her full body cast we have pictures of her laying in her bed and painting it we have pictures from her gallery openings with her decorated bed we have these amazing moments and a lot of other artists we don't so yeah. i think it offers also a more intimate connection with her because you see in her paintings how she wants herself to be perceived mm-hmm. but the photographs are almost like a a way for people to relate to her on a humanizing level, more relatable mm-hmm. level. So she always tended to paint intimate things, mostly for friends and family. Um, and some of those portraits are displayed with incredibly other, uh, other incredibly famous authors like Georgia O'Keeffe. And she's headlined shows like New York and London and international art galleries. And she sold not, not a ton of them while she was alive, but now they fetch millions, like five or six million dollars. And mm-hmm. she probably produced about mm, 200 or so paintings in her life. Yeah. She did a lot of sketches and drawings, though. And the way she combined this surrealist technique with this folklore and everything she was so proud of with cultural clothing, cultural symbols and icons, it's just... It, it melds it all together into something she was so proud of, and I think a lot of people still hold very important as a cultural thing. Um, so uh, she was also the first 20th century Mexican uh, 
to be purchased by an international museum, museum of renown, the Louvre bought the frame, like mm. the, the, the painting is called the frame for an exhibit. And it was the first one, hmm. like male or female, not just her, but like male or female. And she's gotcha. now featured everywhere. Museum of Modern Art, San Francisco Museum of uh, Art, huh. uh, Museo de la Arte Latino Americano de Buenos Aires, others. Like there's, she accomplished a lot. And I'm glad she yeah. got to see some of that success before she mm-hmm. passed away. Um, and I want to leave you on a good note because it's, it's sad, but it's so inspiring. And, she said, feet, what do I need for you? What do I need you for when I have wings to fly? And since it is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, I want to add that she also said, it is not worthwhile to leave this world without having a, had a little fun in life. And I think she's just super inspirational. And she was yeah. having, like, seeing someone visibly who was open about her sexuality, who was persevering through chronic pain and consistent chronic issues and struggled with so many things like childbirth that so many women do and she she painted that and made it available for other people to experience with her i just think that is so incredible and i'm so glad that someone did it no that was really good i learned a lot i I, didn't know so much about. yeah i didn't know most of that stuff either that was really cool i knew she was like in a car accident and i knew that she was a symbol for disability yeah i think i knew i i I think I knew that she had polio, but I didn't know she was in a car accident. <laughs> I knew she had polio because yeah. um, I thought it was just, like, limp, and then the bus accident made it worse, which yeah. it, it did, but, like, much, much worse. Yeah. And I didn't know she had all those problems with childbirth um, no. either and pregnancy, which explains some of her paintings. But when yeah. I was in school, like, my elementary school was actually really cool. They had Art Smart every two weeks where you would learn about, like, famous artists and stuff, which was really cool because it means I had really early exposure to artists. Mm -hmm. But all the Frida Kahlo stuff they had were her, like, portraits. And I was like, oh, cool. It's not, like, a realistic painting. You know, it's surrealist. But, like, and I didn't realize that later they probably had to choose very specifically which of her portraits because children should not, like, children would not understand. They'd be like, like what that painting is, the Henry Ford Hospital one. Like, they would be very confused. No, and then... You don't want to have to explain to kids about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that was really good. Good job, Kat. I am. I feel like I learned a lot. I, yeah, I was really excited. The more, the deeper I got, the more I was like, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole with this woman. I'm yeah, no, that's really cool. It makes me want to like read a biography or something. I know. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go watch the movie now and read the bi- biography after I read the other 50 million biographies that I have <laughs> right. on my bedside table. Right. But yeah, I'm just really excited to hear about yours now. Well, mine is... Um, a lady from a similar time period. Um, well, actually, a very similar time period. But um, she was an actor. She's a she. A lot of her reminds me of Frida in a way, but a lot of her definitely doesn't. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into this. So today I am doing Katie Gerardo, who was a Mexican American actress. Well, she was Mexican, but she worked in Mexican and American cinema. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I mean by Mexican American. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, she was born, uh, she lived from 1924 to, ni- or to 2002. Whoa. Yeah, so pretty, pretty Recent. long life. Yeah. Okay, I just realized that 2002 was like 20 years ago. And we don't need to talk about that. Um. We were alive. That's terrifying. My brain was like, oh, so a couple years ago. Okay. Um, no. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so. That's funny. She was born Maria Cristina Estela Marcela Gerardo Garcia. On January 16th, 1924, in Guadalajara, Mexico, she had six names. Count them. Nice. Six. 
I was just going to say it again because it's fun to say all their names. Maria, Cristina, Estela, Marcelo, Gerardo, Garcia. Nice. <laughs> they I mean, all like flow together so Frida, well. Frida had a few too. For someone with six names, those are good six to have together. Yeah. It's very uh, poetic. Yes. So her family was very wealthy. Very, very wealthy. Not her exact generation, but she came from a lineage of like money. And for generations, they had been rich. They were actually descended from Spaniards, from and- Andalusia? Andalusa? Andalusia? Andalusia? Andalusia, I think. It's L-U-C-I-A. Andalusia. Oh, maybe I... Andalusia? I don't know. Um, I feel like I've heard the name Andalusia somewhere before, but I don't know where. I feel so like don't I have to... Me. Yeah, don't I don't... Me. I don't know exactly, but... Uh, they were actually so wealthy at one point that they basically owned all of Texas. Oh my! Yeah, so these are the these are the people she's old. Come, money. She's descended from old, 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 like old world money. Yeah, that's like in Texas when you're like you see someone and you're like, they're either their dad's currently either the CEO of a car company or they had oil money. There's no yeah, in between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure when exactly the. I mean. They lost Texas when Texas was taken in by the U.S. Or, no, when they gained independence. But um, it also had some thing that, like... uh, The articles on her were, like, disappointingly not very much information in them. So I kind of had to, like, piece together stuff. So I'm not exactly sure what all is true because just one of the articles talked about this. But apparently the, the her family's wealth got redistributed during the Mexican Revolution in the 1910s. Interesting. Um, okay. So they used to have more land during her lifetime, or like right before she was born, and now they have uh, less land. But okay. they were still pretty well off. Uh, they, Her mother was a former opera singer who retired to marry her father. And her father was... Um, oh my god, part of my notes got deleted. What is happening? There we go. Uh, her father was... Um, a pretty well-off cattle rancher in Orange. He grew he grew orange trees. I'm not sure what to call that. A farmer? Citrus farmer, yeah. Citrus farmer? Okay. My I'll trust you. To, <laughs> my family used to grow, like, part of my family used to grow citrus, and they we always just called them farmer. Okay. I was like, is that correct when it's, like, an orchard? I don't know. Um, but I'll trust you. I don't know a different... Oh, don't trust me. I just don't know a different <laughs> name. If not, I've been calling my uncle something wrong with my whole life. <laughs> uh, Katie herself is quoted as saying... I. Most of this I'll call her Gerardo, but I also call her Katie sometimes. Um, But she's quoted as saying, My family is no longer very, very rich, but they still live that way. When she was 16, she was, quote-unquote, discovered by filmmaker Emilio Fernandez, who offered her a role in his first movie called The Isle of Passion. Despite her... And you would think that this would be pretty okay, considering that um, her godfather was also an actor, in Mexican media at the time. Actually, a lot of her family... I am was reading through the people in her family and, like, the connections they had. And I was like, wow, there's so many, like, important people in this family. Oh, wow. And then I remembered, oh, they got this old money. The old money. That's why. Like, I think one of her cousins ended up being the president of Mexico at some point. Oh. Like, like, big connections. And I was just like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, then I remembered it's, it's, it's the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... So her parents were, they refused basically to give her permission to sign the contract for the film. I think she was, uh, yeah, she was 16. So she was still 
you know, under their control. So she could not going to lie. Speak if, for if my 16 year old daughter came home and was like, they want me in a movie called the Isle of passion. I'd be like, you know what? That's fair. No. I hadn't, I hadn't considered it from that angle. And then I also was thinking like, well, maybe, you know, the Godfather who is working in the same field, maybe they know stuff about the movie the industry, industry in Mexico. And they're yeah. like, I don't really want my 16 year old in that in right that, now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I can't say that I don't blame them. However, her pe- personality was not going to be the one to for like someone to tell her no to something that she wanted to do. Ah, and uh, it was very evident from this young that it was that was going to be the way. So in the meantime, she went to, I believe it was a journalism school of some sort, but I saw some articles refer to it as secretarial school. Mm. But based on stuff I'll talk about later, I'm going to lean more towards journal, like a journalism program. Okay. And I guess this was in her late teens, and I don't think it was like a full college or anything. It was just she went to school for journalism. I'm not sure exactly how that worked, but she had some training in journalism. Yeah, maybe it was like a trade school or something. Yeah. Um, but good for her. It wasn't very long before she was offered another role and this time she was not going to let the opportunity slip by and she actually forged her parents signature on the contract form uh to get the role it's not great yes this was a movie called uh no no and this is gonna be weird for me to pronounce it's m-a-t-a-r-a-s no mataras no mataras 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 i don't know I, I took I took French. My guess is Materis. <laughs> not, not Spanish. Materis is a very Americanized pronunciation of that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I also feel like it's like going to a restaurant and then you're like, it's, it's like an Italian restaurant and it's like you don't want to walk up to the la- waiter and be like, oh, like the spaghetti, like like yeah, it well, almost no. sounds like you're mocking. I eat it a lot if of you do it wrong. Yeah, no, I eat a lot of takis and <laughs> I call them takis, but you can say like takis. Like, takis? Well, and it's weird because it's like... And I'm like, I, I'm not going to say it. Well, like, it's like, like you that. don't want to be offensive, but you also don't want to mispronounce something that would yeah. be important to pronounce correctly in the culture. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, so, she gets offered the second role in the film. This time, uh, the man directing it was a, name by the, was a man by the name of Mauricio de la Serna um, in his film No Mataras. Uh, and like I said, she actually forged her parent's signature on this contract. When they found out, they were, of course, furious, and they threatened to send her to a boarding school in Monterey, um, which would basically take her far away from kind of where... Yeah. I guess in Guadalajara was kind of like a Hollywood sort of situation, because it seemed like she was just, you know, walking on the street and getting offers. Okay. Because she was, like, technically discovered at 16 i don't think she put herself into any like yeah. auditions or anything because yeah because her parents would have had to approve if she was going out and auditioning yeah exactly that so i think she was just kind of discovered um and but good for her because around the same time she actually met a another aspiring actor who was a man by the name of Vis- victor velasquez who she married oh. to to basically do this role because, you know, if she married a man, then her parents aren't in charge anymore. <laughs> and that's oh. literally the reason she married the man and she divorced him when the movie came out. What a badass. I know. Okay. If you, um, you haven't read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, have you? Yeah. It's like yeah. when she marries her first yeah. husband. Yeah. I was huh. like, wow, nice. Um, 
Great book, by the way, if anyone is interested in that. This lady actually kind of reminds me of the main character, in a way, from that mm-hmm. book. But, um, yeah, so she immediately divorced him. I think it was... They were married for four years, I think. So, like, not... Well, I got conflicting dates on that, too. So I'm not going to say exactly how long they were married. She mm-hmm. married him. It was very clear she married him. For that, yeah. For the express reason of, I want to be in this movie, and my parents can't tell me what to do if, I, if I'm married. Um, which like, all right, honey, you go off. Yeah. Um, so after, and so this turned in this film, no, uh, Matara's basically turned into her like debut film. Yeah. It was her, her first film, but it actually did a lot for her in terms of getting more, um, you know, it, it made a career for her. Uh, she, was able to kind of carve out a niche for herself in Mexican cinema. Okay. And this is because she had a very unique look to her. She is not what would be considered a classic beauty, and she actually never considered herself beautiful. She knew that people were attracted to her body, but she never considered her to be beautiful. Hmm, interesting. Um, and instead, she used her self-described sensual features to earn her very specific roles she always this is something you'll see throughout her life too she always very selectively chose the roles that she wanted to play Hmm. um which i also respect a lot um she wanted to play basically these roles where she played yes they would be sexual women um women that were meant to be like sexually desired but they were still very complex she wanted to play like deep characters she didn't want like a surface level um, woman she wanted to, it to have like kind of some depth behind it Love that. um and her looks were actually very close to they were kind of considered to be very close to those of the indigenous people of mexico which was not something seen in mexican cinema at the time and so this kind of added to her ability to be able to kind of carve out a niche for her and um Mexican in the Mexican cinema world mm-hmm. and this is a quote from her she says I knew that my body was provocative but awful but also that I was not beautiful although yes I admit my physique was different and very sensual uh mm-hmm. also for the record she's literally gorgeous <laughs> it is true that she's not like a classic beauty but she definitely has like I think I mean she's you know she's beautiful but in a very like unique way yeah um, and this is just kind of compounded by the fact that this is the 40s and 50s, so the beauty standard was high, and it was hard to meet it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but that didn't mean that she had a hard time. And in fact, in the next seven years, she has no less, she makes no less than 16 films. She's um, drop-dead gorgeous. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So. Not pretty my ass. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> So pretty. Yeah. I mean, she's not like the girl next door pretty that they were looking for at the time. You know what I mean? She's not. Yeah. No, she doesn't look like Marilyn. She's a very unique. But like, I almost prefer this to Marilyn. <laughs> um, yeah. So she, and again, her looks like, obviously people thought she was gorgeous because she kept getting cast. Yeah. She was in 16 films in the next seven years in the, in Mexican cinema. And this is actually during the phase of Mexican cinema, which I think goes hand in hand with the same thing happening in the U S at the time called the golden age of Mexican cinema. Mm-hmm. You also get the golden age of Hollywood in America right around the forties and fifties too. So I think it's just, I think this period in filmmaking, people just call it golden ages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she worked alongside famous Mexican actors such as Pedro Infante, Sarah Montiel, and Pedro 
Armendariz. Armendariz. <laughs> Uh, and this is where kind of the timeline gets a little, well, it's not hard to follow. Um, it's just a little back and forth between like movie making and stuff because basically um, in the 50s, she starts to work in, in the early 50s, she starts to work in America and Mexico at the same time. So in 53, she starred in Mexican film El Bruto, a film, and this film would actually earn her her first award, which was called an Aerial Award. And this is basically the Mexican equivalent to an Oscar. Okay. So a pretty high claim for Best Supporting Actress. And for this to be, you know, I think the her debut film came out in 43. So for this to be only 10 years after her kind of debut, that's... Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. good to be an Oscar winner, basically, already. Ten years into your acting career. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo DiCaprio did it for, like... Right. Hella longer than that. <laughs> um, and what's even more impressive, I think, is while she's making all of these movies and literally living... Or traveling between America and Mexico to make movies, is that's not just what she was doing, even though it easily could have been. She could have just been an actor by trade, but she was not one to only do one thing. She was actually putting her journalism training to use, and she worked as a movie columnist, a radio reporter, and a bullfight critic. Oh my god. Yeah. And this is... was busy. Yeah. And so that is actually how she broke into American cinema because while she was on assignment at a bullfight in 1951, she was spotted by American filmmaker Bud Bodicher and actor John Wayne, who were at the bullfight. And apparently this guy, Bud Bodicher, was a bullfighter himself. And so when they, like, guess met her at this bullfight, him and John Wayne, who was there randomly... Um, Probably researching some role. Right. Uh, when they met her, and they were like, wow, we discovered her. But she's like, no, I'm literally a very famous actor. <laughs> you just, you're just so stuck on your American. Yeah, you're just an American. Um, and so they're like, oh, sweet. We're going to offer you a role. And so she starred in the film Bullfighter and the Lady, which premiered in 1951. Um, an interesting fact about this film is that apparently she could speak some English, but she was not good at speaking English. And so for her lines in this movie, she basically just remembered the phonetic pronunciation of her lines. I've heard of, yeah. Yeah. So she didn't speak English, but she spoke it well enough to be in this movie. She just memorized. And I think that's pretty impressive, honestly. No, um, And she did well enough that this earned the attention of... Um, kind of American cinema. So in 1952, she starred alongside Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly in the classic Western High Noon, which is like a very famous Western. Yeah. Yeah. And so for this film, she did actually learn English and she would spend up to two hours a day in English classes. And she apparently was very proud to be in this film. Uh, and I would she, too if I committed that much effort to being in it. Like yeah, no. And she she's quoted as saying, "I am very proud to make this picture because I look and act like a Mexican. I am not an imitation." So she was proud to be a Mexican Aww. playing a Mexican yes, in a girl. film, um, and not just you know pretending to be a Mexican. Everyone should have that pride in film. Sometimes. Yeah. So this role in 1952 became kind of her breakout role in American cinema. And uh, she even earned, she even was awarded a glo- Golden Globe for this movie as, I think it was Best Supporting Actress. Mm. Uh, she continued making films in America until the early 60s, but she never was what we would kind of define as a, 
like an American movie star from this period, uh, despite her potential, obviously, to be one. And this was apparently because she was so highly selective about the roles she chose, as I mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, she could. She was offered a lot more roles, but she was so picky about the ones she wanted to do. Um, Which I kind of admire, because there's some people that I love for being in every movie. Like Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Love that he just shows up and you're like, ah, oh, there he is. Yeah, what a guy. Amazing. But then there's some people where it's like, you, I mean, when you're so good at acting, you have that right to make sure that the role is going to exemplify yeah. everything you can. Uh-huh. So it's like, I get, I get both sides of that. Yeah. And I don't even think it was, I mean, obviously she was talented, but I don't think she was doing it because she's like, I'm good and I can afford to be picky. I just genuinely think she wasn't interested in a role if it wasn't the kind of character she wanted to play. Love that. You know? And I, it's her work. So yeah, like, why she do can the work choose. if you don't want to do Yeah, work? exactly. Um, and she's quoted as saying, I didn't take all the films that were offered, just those with dignity. Um, that. So that's really awesome. So, you know, her time, she spends around t- 10 years, it seems like, just kind of making basically the whole 50s, just kind of focusing on American movies. Okay. Uh, and she was known to be quite the character. She had a big personality, a very short and quick temper. Um and which caused her sometimes more harm than good. But people still loved her nonetheless. And she had a string of lovers. Mm. But she was still very, very well respected. Um, and apparently even Frank Sinatra had a little crush on her. But she turned him down, saying she only saw him as a friend. And her and Marlon Brando uh, had this... I'm sorry. Imagine Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra down. I know. That is a power move for the <laughs> Right? And I just feel like that was a power move. I feel like she was just like... I'm going to turn him down. Like, I, would like, I, can. I would like to date him, but I also kind of wanted to make a point. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and apparently her and Marlon Brando had this like kind of year-long, I don't want to call it affair, but it was definitely like an affair because neither of them were loyal to each other and both of them knew that. So it was definitely like kind of Friends an arranged situation. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think they ever like loved each other, but they definitely kept each other around. Um, Good for her. Yeah, and she said, and she, she even said like, Oh, the first date we went on, I knew of two other girls that he was involved with, but I didn't care. <laughs> you know what, though? If it works, it's your relationship. Yeah. And if you're okay with it and you're in a consensual situation, do mm-hmm. it. She did marry again in 1959 to Oscar-winning actor Ernest Borge, Borgnine, uh, but they divorced in 1964. And this was because apparently both of him had very short and quick tempers, which led to physical abuse on both sides. That's not uh, okay. Yeah, she did have some children from this marriage. I'm not sure. She definitely had a son and a daughter. Um, I'm not sure if there was any more. Again, the information on her was, like, disappointingly yeah. lax. Uh, yeah. So, bumping it back a little bit. So, in 1954, she was cast in Edward Dimitrik's Broken Lance, where she played... And this is unfortunate. It is because of the 50s. She did play, like, a Comanche a few times, which I don't love, but... It, well, it is because of the 50s. People, everyone in the 50s, all the white people in the 50s were just like, oh, you're not white, therefore yeah. you are something else. And mm-hmm. all that something else category is improperly yeah. lumped together. Mm-hmm. And so she played the Comanche wife of Spencer Tracy. And this fun fact is a role that apparently was originally reserved for Dolores Del Rio. But Dolores, at the time, could not take the role because she was accused by the U.S. government and was under investigation for guess what, Cat? Communism. Love it. Go McCarthy. He makes his appearance 30 episodes later. (laughs) Um, I know. This is a full circle for you, Kaylee. Right. 
So she, this role for her was actually a really important one because she earned an Academy Award nomination and this, it made her the first Latin American actress to be nominated for an Oscar. Wow. So that's really cool. She didn't win, but she was the first nomination. So that's really fun. In 1954. But good for her. Yeah. Right. In the sixties, she began to split, split her work between. Uh, between American and Mexican cinema again, and she started in several movies in both countries over the 60s and 70s. She even made some European movies at the time, too. And apparently she even starred on Broadway once or twice. Hmm. And I was like, Broadway? That came out of nowhere. <laughs> There's actually a big crossover within the two communities. I That is true, but none of her movies were, like, musicals. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's not in any musical movies. Is he a phenomenal singer and act and Broadway actor? Yeah. Is he really? Jake Gyllenhaal did Sunday in the Park with George, like, two years ago before I COVID. had no idea. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, so... And again, she she never really leaves Mexican cinema behind, which I respect her for. Yeah. And she actually says to that point, uh, quote, some Mexicans go to Hollywood and lose career in Me- lose their career in Mexico because they play imitation. I don't want this to happen to me. So she wanted to be a very genuine and true Mexican, not like the Hollywood version yeah. of what they are characterizing the as a Mexican. The token stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. Which again is why I think she was so selective of her roles, which I have a lot of respect I, for. Yeah. Um, not everyone would be. You see that chance at fame and you're like, yeah. money, power, fame, mm-hmm. I'll do what I have to, but... Yeah, so sometime after divorcing her second husband in like the mid to late or the mid 60s, she moves back to Mexico permanently. Um, and there she continues on making, as I said, just movies in, in both countries and even some in Europe. In 1973, she acted in Mexican film, in a Mexican film that consisted of three short stories called Fe, Esperanza y Caridad which earned her another Ariel Award. She was in the third of these short stories, uh, of these three short stories. And this time it was for Best Actress. So she has basically yes. the equivalent of two Oscars, one for Best Supporting and Best Actress, which that's awesome. That. In the same year, she apparently starts on Broadway again. So that's fun for her. And um, on a not great note, in 1980, during the filming of a movie called La Seduction, a movie, um, uh, this movie that she would also earn an aerial nom for, though not a win. Um, during the filming of that movie, her son died in a car accident. Yeah. Oh. Um, so she's quoted as saying, what happened to my, what happened? I must have, whatever. She's quoted as saying, when my son died, I was filming a, mov- a movie in Mexico. He turned he took with him half of my life. I could not mourn him as I wanted. I went to the funeral and I had to return to the film to film the movie. Every day when I saw the camera, I hated her. I dedicated to the films a wonderful time I should have given to my children, but it was too late. So hmm. that really kind of... Yeah. For a few years, she didn't make any uh, movies and she kind of had to deal with... Yeah. You know, having to it's go to her funeral and then having a call time of 5 a.m. the next morning. So... Yeah. Um, and I think it was very much like she had had to like take a step back and reevaluate yeah. uh, priorities and everything like that. And she would not actually return to acting until 1984. So four years later, when she acted in a movie called Under the Volcano. I've heard of that. I feel like I've heard of that, too. Wait, why have I heard of that? I don't know. 
I don't know. I've never seen it, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's a familiar name. I know. She acted actually up until her death with her final filming. Her final film was, uh, she, bah, let me get my thoughts together. She acted up until her death with her final film being released posthumously following her death in July of 2002. So she really was right up until the end. And I think she just died of kind of natural causes. It was like kidney failure or something. Mm. Um, So she was 78 at the time. And so, you know nearing the end of her life it's sad but it's nothing traumatic thank god yeah. <laughs> uh though she never married again after she divorced her second husband she did seem to have found love with author louise lamore though uh, from what i could see i think he was a little more into her her than she was into him and she's quoted as saying like oh he wrote me love letters up until the day he died and i'm like but did you return them ma'am uh, yeah. <laughs> she she's been the type even in her old age to be like oh this guy, I got this guy following me around. She got mm-hmm. this guy following me around. Um, and yeah, so that's basically, that's basically her story. And I know that was short, but I still think it's fun to talk about. No, and she I, seemed I like, like a really cool lady. Yeah. No. And I figured after having two pretty long episodes, we could take a short one today. Yeah. I, I like hearing about two women in the arts. I, I like that. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Especially women who just were unapologetically themselves. Yeah, I agree. And she definitely was. And she definitely seemed like like, a really strong woman at the time. There was some quotes that I didn't include in here about how she was like, oh, women's job is to have babies. Mm. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, but you were an actor your whole life. Well, and and I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, if you want to have babies, fine, but that's not a woman's job. Yeah. So I disagree with her on those things. But, you know, she was raised at a time. Um, And, but I still respect her a lot for it. And I actually wanted to end with this quote from her that I thought was like really cool that she, she's talking about aging and she says, but you can't always stay the same. I feel sorry for people who try to though. One of the most beautiful things in life is to grow old with dignity. Those people, men and women who clutch, clutch their youth one day when they're going to have to admit they are not young anymore. And then what will they do? You have to accept the different phases of your life and find the beauty in each one. And I love that. that was the short biography of Katie Dorado. And actually, when I looked up, like, I was like, oh, maybe like a podcast did an episode on her and I can take a quick listen. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. So I'm glad to be able to talk to her about yeah. the, uh, talk about her um, on this kind of platform. And as I said, the articles were like really short. And I was like, this lady's so cool. Why aren't we talking about her more? Yeah. Um, but well, yeah. Sometimes it just takes someone digging up an old story to. Yeah, maybe so. You know, so bring that, it back to life a little bit. So. That is her. And I love that. That was so good. Yeah, it's a cute little story, and it was nice to just do like a like a good biography on someone. Yeah, not um, a. This is a traumatic event. Yeah. Here I have Mount Vesuvius. Here like, is the graphic murder of six people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I so think we're still recovering from the uh, mass murder episode a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a. It was. It's pleasant to do something that wasn't as dark and depressing mm-hmm. as the last episodes have been. And we'll but. continue to do that stuff for the Heritage Month and everything. But if there are other things you want to hear from us, just tweet at us at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. Yeah. Um, or you can email us if you have some thoughts about anything we thought of, or we talked about today. Or if, you know, you just want to chat. Tell us about your week. Hopefully yeah. you've had a great weekend like me and Kat have. Um yeah hope it only gets better from here and leave us an apple podcast review those are a great way the best way to help us out um yeah. every review you leave is one more trick kaylee lands on her skateboard oh i'm doing tricks now 
I, think I the, consider a trick to be moving. I think my first trick is just going to be, yeah, staying balanced. Okay. Cool. Then <laughs> so, that will be a trick. Yep. One, yeah. one podcast is, is equal. foot that is she an, travels yeah. without falling. Please. I need all the feet I can get. <laughs> I'm so nervous. I know I'm going to bust my ass so much. Hey, everyone does. You know what? That is true. That is true. I just need to remember to wear pants. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Wear pants. I always, that's why we wait for it to cool off a little bit. Hey, I, man. Did it, I did it in shorts and I hadn't wiped out, but I was like, the whole day I was like, it's gonna come, it's gonna come, it's gonna come. Do you see those videos of, like, the ladies wearing, like, little bikinis and roller skating around? I was and like, I'm like, confident. y'all are impressive. It's like, y'all have confidence in your balance that I do not have. Yeah, like, exactly. I would wipe out and tear off all my skin. I know. I was like, oh, that would hurt so bad. Yeah. But I trust that y'all know what you're doing. I know. <laughs> it's like your commitment is incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Um, it's been great to talk with everyone. By everyone, yeah. I mean Kat and our figments of our imagination. Yes, we imagine you here in the room. With and us. Our, our little numbers on Buzzsprout. <laughs> yes. yes, we do appreciate those. And yes, yeah. we appreciate that we had a big boost in views last week. So thank you for all for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon, I guess. Spoon? Yep. Spoon. Spoon? Spoon? Spoon. What was that lady's name? The journalist. Scloot. Scoot. Scloot. Scoot. Scoot. Yeah. It's Scloot. Scoot. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, we will talk to you again. We'll stop next rambling. Tuesday. And this is not. not wait, <laughs> and this is just a reminder that this was not a history lecture. Bye. Bye.